As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. Back again here. Thanks, as always, to the uh, the Norden Group getting us uh, getting us through the winter here. This podcast is basically the only thing I have to look forward to during the week right now. Uh, very jealous, Dan. Uh, just returned what an hour ago from sixty five degrees St. George riding. Do you know what? It was just the uh, like St. George is just kind of my happy place. It's as good as it and gets. And it was just perfect. It was so beautiful. I had. I basically alternated between eating food and riding my bike, and then I'd eat more food, then I'd ride my bike some more. And that's just as good as life gets, really. But then I, I come home, and it's, like, snowy, and I I was unloading the car. I was wearing, like, some Birkenstock shoes, and I slipped and fell so hard on the concrete. So it was kind of like my welcome home present back to reality. So, Oh, you know. It's got to be a metaphor for something. I remember you, you saying one time that even if you were a billionaire, you'd still ride bikes and eat food. You'd you'd maybe eat nicer food and ride nicer bikes. But yeah, even if I like won the lottery and had all the money in the world, I would still just want to ride my bike in Park City, eat at Cafe Rio, and go to St. George in the winter. I just I'm already I already get to do like my favorite things. So it's as good as it gets, huh? Yeah. Well, um, we have a couple news items to go over. Uh, the main topic today is an interesting one. We'll be talking about intensity, which as, as every other topic, we've, we've, we've touched on it before, but we're going to dedicate a whole conversation to it today. Yeah, and my thinking behind this is I, I, I got thinking about it. I'm like, you know, I've talked about endurance pace and, and zone two a lot, and I plan on talking about it a lot more too. But I do want to point out that intensity actually is important. I think some people think it's the only thing that's important. But, <laughs> you know, so that's kind of why we wanted to talk about that today. So, yeah, we'll get into that a little later. Uh, first, though, it's the beginning of the year. The team has been launched. That entails a lot of business. So we do have we do have some, uh, some important uh, things to run over. Well, yeah, so I finally have everyone grouped into their teams. So if you guys go to your team snaps, <clears throat> you should be able to see the Maybird team and then also like your individual your team. individual team which is usually named after a color usually are there exceptions to that okay yeah they're all named they're, after well, a color they're, they're, <laughs> most of them are named after a color some of them are named after Napoleonic generals though so keep an eye out for that well one is named after a color and a shape so that's oh, okay. the only but they're our favorite group so they yeah. get they get to do whatever they want yeah so but yeah so check out what group you, again um you know, we, we have put a lot of time and effort into putting people into these groups. They're they're based on race re- results and and what type of training you're doing in the winter. 
And just remember that like we, it's so easy to move someone from one group to another. So if you get in a group and you realize, wow, these guys are way too fast for me, you know, we, there's another group that'll work out better for you. If, if you're concerned that your group might be way too slow, I mean, I would say most of the time, just give it a few rides and, and see. And, and usually if someone's in the wrong group, it's pretty apparent. Yeah, it's, and, and like, May, Maybird's not a racing league. We're not, the goal, we didn't say, like, we don't approach this with, like, what's the fastest group this person could ride with in mind? Like, we have, we have a lot of things that play into it. And so, um, if you cannot hang with your group, we'll change that right away. If you think you're too fast for your group, hang on, give it a shot, and then we'll talk about it. Um, yeah, because it's really easy to move people. I just usually like him to at least give it a shot before I move him. Um, so, and also I just want to point out too, that I've, we have like amazing coaches and you know, the cool thing about Maybird is we're really able to combine the talents of several Nike teams into one, you know, and, and you know, like you're going to love your coaches and, and I've really even tried really hard to put top quality coaches in some of the, the more beginner type slower groups, you know, so they can have you know, the same good opportunities to work with, with better coaches as, you know, some of the faster riders. So, yeah, we put a lot of thought in, well, I say we, Dan puts a lot of thought into it. Um, give it a shot. Don't immediately try and like hit us up to change so groups. I have made mistakes in the past and like I've put like girls and guys groups by mistake and stuff. So if, if there's something that's, if there's like a very obvious, yeah. if, if this is your, if, if this is you or your kid's first year ever and you see your name under pink boys and your training wheels came off two weeks ago, then let us know. But if you're looking at this and thinking like, Oh, I'm fast enough to hang with this. Like, don't, don't let those thoughts overcome you. Give it a shot. And the other thing I'd point out is like, this is not a measurement of your value as a human being. If you are not in a group that's as fast as you hoped, it's okay. You're not a bad person. (laughs) Um, Being in the pink group does not make you um, any better. It's just the speed at which you are capable of riding right now. That's it. You know, like don't, don't, don't sweat it too much. You're not a bad And honestly, honestly, being in a group that's too hard is actually detrimental to your training. Ask anybody who was in the pink group from... Can I say that again? Yeah, say it again. Okay. Everyone listen up. Being in a group that is too fast for you is detrimental to your training. It is bad. And not just to your training, to like your longevity as a cyclist. I spent two years in the pink group where I didn't really belong there and I was the anchor. And I can tell you, mentally it sucks. It is not fun to be the anchor. It does not make you faster. And we have we have guys riding in the pink group that started out in one of our slowest groups. Yep. And, you know, so it's just, yeah. Um, you can get there even if you're 18 and you're not in the pink group yet. We will put a 27-year-old in the pink group someday. Like a hundred, we'll 100% do it, you know. You can get there. You've got all the time in the world. Um, yeah, give it a shot and, and we'll, we'll, we'll work from there. But... Um, yeah, so just look at your team snap. You'll see, you should see the Maybird team and then the team that you belong to. And, and um, that, you know, if, you're in, if you toggle into that team, you know, you can message that team directly and it's pretty cool. And your coaches will send out invites from that team and you respond to them. Um, yeah, we should be, you know, we'll probably be doing our groups are encouraged to do long St. George rides, you know, sometime in February or March. Those are totally optional. If you can get down there and make it, don't feel, 
any undue pressure to go down there, but if you can, it's it's a whole lot of fun. Shouldn't have to twist your arm too hard to go down to St. George oh and ride gosh. your bike. I want to go every weekend from now on. I have just so much fun. More and more, I don't know if I can handle the winters. I might just move there, but I don't know. I don't oh. feel the same way in July. Yeah. So, um, yeah, try to try to get and out. And then clinics are going to be starting in March, and um, huge deal. I, I think it's going to take a little while longer for trails to dry this season. And yeah, we've we've been we've been blessed with a little more moisture than we've had in previous years over the past couple winters. So, um, unfortunately, I don't think it'll undo the twenty five thirty year trend of really dry winters. But um, in the short term, I'm hoping next season will be a little greener, a little less dusty. Um, but yeah, you might not be able to hop onto shoreline for, we'll be, we're going to be take care of our clinics in March. So, yeah. Okay. Well, any other business? That's all I can think of right now. Uh, quiz today is topical. Um, today and yesterday, I think the day before were uh, cyclocross world championships. Um, big deal. First world's race of the year. First rainbow Jersey. It's being handed out. Ask me Um, who won. All right, Dan, who, who won the races? Vanderpool. He beat Van Art in a sprint. I should go back and add spoiler alert. Um, the thing is, I don't even worry about. It's like it's been twenty four hours almost. You know, not oh, twenty four, but yeah. If you, if you have, if unless you haven't been on Instagram all day, which I doubt very many people have, who won the women's race, Dan? Somebody else. Um. You sexist douchebag. <laughs> Femme Van Empel uh, walked away with the women's race. Uh, Mariana Voss did not race, so little asterisk there. But I can't take anything away. If you watched Femme Van Empel, like. The Vanderpool Van Art battle was awesome and dramatic. Can I just say the only reason I knew that is Joe showed me the clip of the sprint right before we started recording. Yeah, so. Dan's not as sexist as he sounds. Um, no, Femme Van Empel just walked away from the field. Like, I, I, I hate to say it doesn't look like they were trying because that kind of takes away from the mammoth effort of winning any kind of bike race, but really didn't look like she was trying. Just floated away, like danced away from everybody else. Um, the Vanderpool Van Art battle is getting more attention because it was so dramatic and came down to the line and everything. But I showed you that sprint; that was nuts. That was, yeah, you should. You guys should check out that sprint. It was pretty cool. Yeah, go check out. Go check out my Instagram or anyone else's Instagram today. <laughs> um, but I do have a three-part <laughs> cyclocross quiz for you today, Dan. Okay. Um, if you're not familiar, do you want to give the thirty-second lowdown on cyclocross? If anybody's listening to this for the first time and they're not familiar, you want me to? Yeah, Dan. Let's hear you. Okay, so cyclocross it's, is... People always ask me to explain cyclocross. Okay. I'm like, uh... It's, it's where you ride a bike that looks kind of like a road bike, but apparently the bottom bracket's a little higher. It is broadly little, similar to a road bike, it's a little but with shorter, a higher bottom bracket, base. slacker front end, um, a, uh, longer wheelbase. Oh, longer. Yeah. Okay. I, I guess than a gravel bike. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're comparing to a road okay. bike there. <clears throat> Slightly wider tires. And which are like, what, 32 to 38 millimeters. 32 to 38. It's an enormous range. 33, 33s. And it's, it's a winter sport. Yes. And it's, it's done like the race is typically like given a a certain time limit, like usually 45 minutes, right? 45 minutes, 50 minutes plus two or three laps or something. You know, once you, yeah, once you hit the 45 minutes, they'll let you know that there's like two or three laps left. Right, right. And cyclocross is is mostly notable because it it it's usually it's most a mass of it's start mass start kind of like a mountain bike race and a lot of it'll be on grass or even maybe little bits of pavement here and there, uh, sand and and obstacles is the kind of fun part of crosses. You have to get off your bike and run because there'll be a staircase or a barrier or a sand pit. And I guess it's it's kind of there's the appeal is that you really like to do mountain biking. You kind of have to have mountains. 
Right. Um, you can do cyclocross anywhere. You yeah. can do cycle. Most of the cyclocross races in Utah like are in middle school playgrounds, basically, you know, um, really, really fun, entertaining kind of racing. If you're not familiar, go watch it. But um, I do have our three part cyclocross quiz today. Okay. And we'll start here. Um, the origins of cyclocross are debated, but the location of where cyclocross started is pretty broadly agreed upon. This is a two part question. Where did cyclocross start and how did it get its start? So I think it's, it started in Belgium, right? No, close. Oh, but did it not start with a in B, Belgium, right? Does it start? Uh, no. Starts with an F. An F. It's that other big country in Europe, France. Yeah, it started in France. But the, they or, don't they speak French in Belgium? So so no. So, well, in parts of Belgium, yes. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. so it started in France. I didn't started know. in France. Yeah, started in France, and there are two main kind yeah, of I've, like, heard, I've heard it was for the military right that is one of them one of the stories is that there were, there were bicycle units in the French military who needed something to do to train over the winter and so that's how you kind of get this weird off-road riding through the mud and sand and stuff um, and there's there's a kind of one other sort of story that's put forward and proposed being on a bike in the military doesn't sound very effective s- effective yeah, t- let's t- talk about the French like, military in the early 20th century. They didn't have a, an amazing gonna, like, track record. Were your water bottle at the enemy or something? I don't think they had plastic water bottles back then, Dan. That's probably true. Okay. Yeah, no, they didn't. They did, yeah, no, not, not a lot of nice things to say about the French military in the early 20th century. But um, the other kind of ideas that cyclocross started when they'd have these these races, like steeplechase races almost, where they'd say, get to this next town, get to the church steeple in that next town, go whatever way you want. And so a lot of people would, to get there, the Is that roads, where the term steeplechase comes from? I have no idea. I don't know what the term steeplechase means. I'm oh. reading off the Wikipedia page. Because um, uh, I knew the French army story, but I, there's, this is the other one that's put forward, is basically <laughs> the roads would be in such bad shape that it would be easier sometimes to get off and run through a farmer's field really quick to cut to get to this next town faster. So really bizarre, odd sport. Um, the second question I have for you is, is cross-country mountain biking, which is our kind of mm-hmm. bread and butter. Um, has been dominated by the French and the Swiss. Two nations dominate cyclocross. What are they? Is it the Belgium? Bel- the Belgians are one. And <clears throat> who's Don't the other? Don't think too one? hard. Where's Vanderpool from? And Femme Van Empel. Orange oh. jerseys. Fun linguistic fact this country speaks the language that is closest to English of all of the mainstream languages out there today. I don't know where it's the Dutch, the oh, Netherlands. The Dutch, okay. So yeah, the Bel- Belgium and the Netherlands are the two. If you go and watch the replay of either the men's or women's races in any of the <clears> categories, <throat> you will see at the front of the group is a bunch of blue jerseys for the Belgians, a bunch of orange jerseys um, for the Dutch. Funny enough, blue and orange do not appear on either of their flags. Don't ask me where that comes from. Okay. Um, last question here. Cyclocross has kind of been, kind of has an unfair reputation as being like the secondary sport that most people are, are road racers who do cyclocross in the winter or mountain bike racers who do cross or whatever more and more cross has its own following but um cyclocross has been kind of the winter exploit of choice for a lot of pros from other disciplines um which of these famous cyclists from other disciplines have won cyclocross world cups it's a question here you got lance armstrong eddie Merckx, and rachel atherton which of them have won cyclocross world cups oh wow and this individual only won one. Oh my gosh that's the um <clears throat> i wouldn't have guessed any of those three yeah you wouldn't have right um i'm just gonna say eddie Merckx, but i think i'm wrong 
Never a bad idea to bet on Eddie Merckx. So it is. Eddie Merckx won, to my, oh, really? to my knowledge, okay. won Cyclocross World Cup <laughs> oh, back in the day. Granted, this was at the point where he was just the dominant cyclist in a way that we just don't get in the modern era. Um, yeah, Rachel Atherton and Lance Armstrong, to my knowledge, have not won Cyclocross World Cups. But there's always time. Yeah. For Rachel Atherton. Not for Lance Armstrong. Actually, Lance Armstrong is ineligible to win any professional bike races anymore. But... Rachel Atherton, I know you just had a kid. If you're listening to this, go go and win a cyclocross World Cup. Yeah, so um, uh, interesting stuff. Go watch uh, Cross Worlds. I think GCN Plus will have it. It's like six bucks, seven bucks a month or something like that. Um, really good racing this year. Um, but with that said, uh, moving on to the main topic, uh, intensity. Is this intensity distribution? Or are we talking about intensity okay. more broadly today? Yeah, so today is like going to be a super broad day. We're going to just like kind of introduce a whole lot of concepts that we will dive really deeply into later. <clears throat> I'm guessing it's even probably be a little shorter podcast than, than normal. Lucky you. Luck, lucky everyone. Put <laughs> um, you out five minutes early today. Yeah. So, you know, in intensity, I like I said earlier, you know, I've, I've talked so much about, about endurance pace and zone two and slow twitch and, and because I'm obviously a huge proponent of that type of training and I think it's very neglected by Nike racers. Yeah. Um, so I really, and if you were to listen to this podcast, you'd almost think that we are like anti-intensity because yeah, that's, and I that's got how we keep about, harping like, on that all the time. I'm like, yeah, I don't want people to think that I'm anti-intensity. So it's, it's very important. It plays a crucial role. I do think that it's probably a little overrated by some people. Um, I'm not anti-intensity. I love intensity. I have so many intense friends. <laughs> Is that from a movie or something? No, no. It's just, oh. no. Don't worry about it. That's not like a movie quote. It's not a movie quote, Dan. <laughs> okay. Um, so I've mentioned this before, but I think there's just three things that are just crucial, if not the silver bullet to becoming fast. And the first one is time, you know, like, fast people. I don't care what kind of genes you have. I don't care who you have to spend a lot of time riding your bike to get fast. No shortcuts. Okay. So time I think is the most important. I would say the second most important thing is, is intensity. Um, discipline, I guess is what kind of what we're calling it now. Um, I I'd say that's the second most important thing. And then the third most important thing I would say, well, the, th the third thing we should be concerned about would be um recovery right no it, it almost sounds a little bit like blasphemy to put like intensity discipline ahead of recovery but i i i think recovery is probably technically more important but i don't think that it's as big of an issue for most of the kids that we work with i think i think most most of the kids we work with probably don't ride every single day of the week. Most of, most of the kids we work with don't have a life that's set up in a way that you could truly over... I mean, you could over... Like, non-functional overreach a little bit, but, like, I don't think we're dealing with kids who are, like, seriously short on recovery, but I do think we're dealing with plenty of kids. I think there kids. might be a couple. They're, 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 they're out there. But I think for the most part... I think for the most part, nobody's out there riding seven days a week. No. Nobody is never 
taking a couple of days off a month. Nobody through... is never taking a couple of days off per month is the most confusing sentence I've heard in my entire life. <laughs> I think I understand what you were trying to say. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let me rephrase. So everyone's at least probably taking a few days off a month. Right. And, and I think that, you know, during the winter, I don't think, I think everyone's taking at least a couple weeks off, you know? Right. I think, but on the flip side, plenty of people are messing up their intensity distribution and discipline badly. Like this is like, like it's, it, maybe it's not as important technically in the equation of how to get fast, but, but it's a bigger problem. It's for where us. more people are running into problems here than they are on the recovery bit. And, and Joe, what would you think is the biggest problem that, that people deal with? Not having enough money to afford nice bikes. No, <laughs> no, I think the biggest problem people probably just be like, the kind of like mushy intensity or what do we call it? The, like the lame intensity where it's like, it's not truly intense, just but it's intense it's, enough to do damage. It's the kind of hard. It's, 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 it's the Joe Draper special. It's where almost all of my rides live these days. Unfortunately, I'm kind of stuck in a mushy intensity rut, you know, which incidentally is pretty much what I spent my whole weekend doing. And it was just, it's fun. It's so much. It's fun. just so much fun, man. You know, and again, as, as we've said before, and we'll say again, if that's what it takes to get you out on a bike and you're going to ride a bike, fine. hundred percent. Well, and that's but, why, that's why I put number one is time. Right. You know, right. like time it, on the bike is good. Time on the bike is the key. Yeah. Time yeah. on the bike is good. No mm. asterisk attached. Yeah. I think for the most part, like yeah, there's very few cases where it's like spending less time on the bike would benefit you. You know, you have to be a professional essentially to get to that point. Um, but yeah, lots of us, if you're really interested in like, oh man, I think I could have been on the podium last year, but I just wasn't quite there. This this is one of those things that could maybe push you over the edge if you had better intensity discipline, right? Yeah. And so let me ask you a question, Joe. Like, so lots of different ways to get fast, but if if you just rode zone two, like a true endurance pace zone two mm. all the time, would you ever get fast? What an open-ended question. I mean, Yeah. Like fast, like, like when, when you say fast, like as fast as you could be, or like, would you become a decent, cause like riding zone two all the time, you'd be a decent cyclist. You'd be good at riding zone two. You could probably ride zone two for a really long time, but you're never going to be able to do well in any sort of bike race. True. I don't think. Okay. Would the um, answer to your question is no. The answer to my question is yes, you would get fast. You made it sound like I was wrong when I said yes. No, you answered it perfectly. You were actually, you're spot on. Like if you only ever rode zone two all the time, you're totally improving your aerobic systems. Right. And so anything up to your VO two max, you would still get faster. Right. You know, because you're just building the hardware that makes you faster. Right. But you're not going to be your fastest. It's going to kind of get you like a lot of the way there. Yeah. But you're, you're not going to win any races. And a lot of people kind of think that just riding zone two is going to make you good at riding zone two. And that's not true. Like, if, if you just rode at zone two all winter long, took an FTP test later, your FTP is going to go up because your yeah. aerobic systems are improving, you know, so. And it's interesting because in a lot of corners of cycling, like we're dealing with the youth mountain bike market, which is a distinctly intense group of kids. Um, if you're like a bicycling magazine editor and you're writing articles for like 50 year olds getting back into cycling after two decades off or, or like, you know, like there's a lot of places where it would be the opposite where people are like, look, you're only riding zone two all the time. You got to be intense sometimes, but our pitch is more like you're being intense all the time. You got to spend some time riding a zone two. So like 
I think with everything we say, bear in mind, like the audience we're talking to is not people who are, we, we don't have a hard time motivating people to ride hard. Yeah. You know, that's like, not the issue. And that's yeah. the issue. These kids like areas. to ride hard. Right. Yeah. So let me flip that question around then. Um, if you only ever rode at high intensity, like say all you ever did, like say the primary, say you only rode like two or three times a week. Okay. And those two or three times a week, all you did was high intensity intervals, like VO2 max intervals right. and sprints. And right. I mean, would you get faster? According to the principle of time on the bike is good. Yes. But I think you'd get faster just doing zone two would be my guess. Ooh, am I wrong? Wait, you get faster. Do- oh, oh, so I I'm see saying, what you're I'm saying. saying the two examples oh, we have on one hand, you could just do zone two and one hand, you could just do intensity. My guess is you'll get faster doing both but you'll get faster-er doing just zone two. Okay. Is that a fair you're, thought? I, you, you, well, yeah, like just doing the zone two, you would get, it's a different kind of fast. Like, right. I mean, you would be kind of more, like more Dur- durable. Durable is the word I was going to jump to. Um, but yeah, like if, if you just did, like if you're on some time crunched program that you bought yeah. from somebody or whatever, Ooh. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> ooh, ooh, dance, um, dance dissing. Ooh, no, oh. no, like, oh. no. That if if you're on some time crunch program, all you're doing is high intensity intervals. Yeah, you're gonna get faster. Yeah, time on the bike, riding your bike makes you faster. Um, but it's kind of a it's kind of a get quick, a get rich quick. I almost said get quick rich. Get quick rich. Yeah. I'm not good at either. <laughs> um, it's kind of like a get rich quick kind of scheme, you know, right. like it's easy come easy go. Right. But yeah, you're going to get faster. You know, basically when, you know, when you're training using the, the, the slow twitch zone two endurance type training, that's going to improve your, your mitochondria and your, your aerobic systems. And, and same with doing like high intensity too. It actually improves the same things. Um, both ways you're going to get faster. One is a little more durable way of getting faster. One's a little more sustainable, but the magic is combining the two. Right. You know, right, that's, right. you know, that's as in all things, as in all things, is good. Exactly. You know. And I don't think there's anyone out there, anyone out there telling you to only do one or the other. I mean, obviously it's happened. There are cases of it <laughs> happening. Yeah, maybe, but obviously, obviously do it combining like finding the right combination of the two right. is, is the ideal. Right. But so it's, so really with, without high intensity, you're not going to be as fast as you can be. And, and I mean, you don't, you don't win mountain bike races in zone two or zone no. four, even, you know, you're going to, no. you really need, you don't win road races in that zone either. I'd throw That's out, true. you know, like, like there's, there's no kind, I mean, unless it's race across mm-hmm. America, there's no bike race shorter than 12 hours that you're going to win in zone two. So yeah, so so really to be the best that you can be, intensity is is essential. You know, it just it just they like they complement each other to right. to really produce the best results. Right. So today we are going to talk about but you notice I still had to sneak some in there about the importance of endurance in zone two. I know, right? You're a real zone two evangelist. I think it's funny that you're saying today we're going to talk about as we're twenty seven minutes into this episode. And I haven't even started about talking about intensity yet, really. We we have. Okay. We we have. So yeah. People are like panicking. Is this gonna be a two hour long episode? So so there's a when, when you're talking about intensity there's two really important things to remember, two really important principles okay. to remember when you're planning out your intensity, how to really benefit from them. 
And the the first one is 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 spending time in zone. You know, when you're designing like a, a high intensity workout, you really want to to kind of pick a specific zone or intensity that you're trying to work that you're trying to focus on. Right. And the goal of that workout is to spend as much time as possible. And the more time you can spend, the better, right? Is it fair to say that that is why intervals are a thing? It's like the most effective way to spend the maximum amount of time in a certain zone. Oh, absolutely. That, that's kind of the, that's why intervals exist, right? Absolutely. That's the whole point of an interval. Absolutely. Because, um, because like with the intervals, you know, you're, you're kind of targeting a specific power range or effort range or heart rate range or whatever, however you're measuring it. And you repeat that over and over and over again with just the right amount of recovery in between that makes it so you can do spend quite a bit of time at that intensity. And, you know, and and by spending more and more time at that intensity, it signals more and more adaptations to improve whatever your body needs to improve to do better at that intensity. And like an example um, of why intervals are effective. And I, so like, like my bike ride this weekend, I, I rode for about two hours and 45 minutes. And like this whole winter, I haven't done, I've only, I've, I've just started doing some sweet spot. I've only done some like kind of my upper end of my zone two on the trainer that's, I haven't done any intensity this whole winter. This is my first St. George trip. So this is my first intensity of the winter. I'm just kind of like, you know what? I am just going to attack everything I can attack. I'm just going to go out and just... Joe Draper style, right? Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. just going to have fun. I'm just going to... Like, if there's a climb, I'm going to hit it hard. Yeah. And it felt like a really hard ride. I was I was actually having a hard time walking after. And... Um, That's the best when you finish a ride and you hurt too much to feel any, like, mental pain. Yeah. Right? <laughs> You know, so I, my goal was an intense workout. I got looking at my... Oh, don't tell me this part. I got looking at Can my... Can I finish your sentence? You got looking at your Garmin and you spent a shocking. I don't have a Garmin, first or, of all. You spent time looking at your Wahoo uh, Element at, Rome and... At you, my training peaks. At your training peaks. Oh, excuse me. And um, you realized that you spent a, sh- a shockingly small amount of time in the truly intense zones. Is that where this is going? Yeah, so, so okay. zone five and above... Right. I think in my two hours and 45 minutes of a really hard ride, I, I spent like 17 minutes. Okay. You don't, you're not doing it right then, Dan, come on. You should, you, you gotta learn to do a real Joe Draper ride. Yeah. Know. So, but, but the thing I get is, your point, but yeah, yeah, it felt like a hard, you could ride. have done an interval ride that would that like a quarter as long and, and probably spent as much time or more in zone five. Yeah. Right? Like That's I could, point. like if I would have done structured intervals, you know, I would have been able to do, like a 45 minute workout and right. get like the same amount of time or more. Yeah. 30 yeah. minutes worth of time in zone, you know? So, right. so that's why like there is a definitely a place for structured intervals and workouts is no granted. It's not nearly as much fun as I had, but no. And like, I've known people who have like only done super pious training plans. We do that. And like, and you burn out because it's not fun. Like it's okay to do the rides you do. Like I, that's all I do. You know, I'm exaggerating slightly, but really it is kind of all I do. Yeah. But it's not ideal. And if you really want to get faster, there's a much more effective way to do yeah, it. Yeah. And, and and when you're designing a workout, the thing that's really going to make it effective is the more time that you spend in that zone, the more effective it's going to be. That's the first thing. And then too, just, just the, re, the repetition, you know, by doing like, if you do something once your body's kind of like, oh, wow, that was annoying. 
But if you do it over and over and over and over again, it starts realizing that, yeah, it needs to adapt. It needs to change. So time and zone and repetition are, are huge. You know, that's, that's what signals adaptations. Um, so, so now, and, and pretty much for the rest of our discussion, I just want to talk about the different types of intensity that we do and kind of when to do it. Because I, I was going to ask, like, you know, you, you talk about how you've only really done, you know, like like zone two and then maybe moving into sweet spot right now. Um, is it appropriate to do high intensity intervals during the winter? You know, it's not a bad thing necessarily. I mean, I would say that the more the more serious and the higher volume that you do, the less you would need it. Um, but, you know, if you're kind of a if you're time crunched, you don't get on the bike very much. You know, if you do some high intensity work during the winter, it's not going to absolutely ruin your whole season. Yeah. Um, and and there's some people that even say, you know, kind of for like time crunch type athletes, it's probably a good thing to help maintain some of that. And it's not, I just certainly wouldn't make it your focus. Like unless you're very time crunched, it's probably not the best place to be spending your time. Right? Yeah. But you know, if, if like every other week you do like, you know, I'm almost cringe saying this, you know, if you did like some VO two work every other week, it's not a bad thing. I wouldn't recommend it though, right. but it's not going to, I mean, if it sounds like fun and, and it motivates you to go, if that's, if it's that or yeah. nothing, yeah, it's not going to, but it's if not going to hurt you. If it's the deepest, darkest depths of February and you just cannot get on the bike unless you're going to go do that, then yeah, whatever. So I do wonder like really quick to like, when you say like high intensity, what, what, where do we cross the line and we're in high intensity? Where, where does that oh, happen? That's a really good question. Yeah. See, I, this is funny. So, I'll say, I've said this so many times, Dan and I don't coordinate. I promise this is all organic. So I'm, you so know, we didn't what, plan that moment. What I think, like most people think once you cross your threshold, your second threshold, you're, you're, you're okay. basically like your FTP or your right. maximum lactate steady state or something. I think most people think that once you're above threshold, that that starts becoming high intensity. Anything below it is low intensity. And when you say most people think, this is kind of making you think that you disagree. Well, no, I think that like as far as like the polarized model goes... I count sweet spot as high intensity. So I was going to say, I, I'd kind of push back because like, if you think about the definition of that threshold is like the maximum amount of power you can hold for an hour. Doing 90% of the maximum you can do for an hour is intense. It's still right? hard. Yeah. It's hard. You know, am I, am I wrong in thinking yeah, that? So I kind of think of sweet spot and above okay. is, is high intensity. So it doesn't have to mean like sprinting. No, no. Like it can, it doesn't have to look that intense from the outside even. And it might not feel that intense for the first bit of the ride, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of the dangerous part. So yeah, I would definitely define it as sweet spot and as above is what we consider a high intensity workout. Even though technically sweet spot is sub threshold, it's purely aerobic. Um, uh, like in the Imperial Cycling meme said, threshold workouts are just spicy zone too. I love that. I thought it was so funny. I think it's funny that we can cite different specific bike meme pages on Instagram. Really quick, what's your favorite? Empirical Cycling's the funny. I, I, I don't know what's what's Imperial, your Imperial Cycling is it like empirical? A, empirical? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, there are a few. I think I think Euralay is overpriced, and that's not really a meme page though. Uh, uh, the best meme page would probably be. I think feed zone memes is fun. That's a classic. I'd have to think about that though. Go follow some bike meme pages. They're fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so let's, let's talk about each of these different types. 
like these are basically just kind of the different types of different ways to do intensity. Right. Some of my favorite ones. And we'll kind of talk about each one, why they're valuable and, and, but we won't go too deep in each of these because each of these will be their own deep dive later. Um, but again, just let me reemphasize the, the goal really is to get as much repetition and as much time and zone to really make improvements in each one of these. Right. So the first one I do want to talk about is sub-threshold, which we call sweet spot. Um, as, as we've mentioned before, you know, this is, you're working just under your FTP, um, just under your MLSS threshold. Um, these are, these are typically, these are what I like to do during the winter. If I do intensity during the winter, this is the type that I like to do. You can really do a lot of it. It's not super damaging. You can usually recover it from it pretty quickly if your zones are calibrated correctly. Um, I always like to describe it as like you're riding with a buddy that's a little uncomfortable to keep up with. Um, and, you know, initially, like these workouts, I, tr I usually try to design them you know, in intervals, so you get little breaks in it. So it's not, you're not just going, cause in theory you could go two hours at sweet spot, which is not true. I mean, that's. Yeah. I have, I have a lot of thoughts on like some of the theoretical benchmarks, like your, your threshold is what you can hold for an hour. I'm yeah. like, I don't know if my, my like, I don't know if the threshold that trading peaks has told me has ever been an amount of power that I could actually go out and do for an hour, but I don't know. That one you maybe should be able to, but I don't think you should be able to do a sweet spot for two hours. I yeah, think that would be if, if a yeah, gun's I've, held to your head and your family's being held. But hostage, I do like. think <laughs> I do think you could build up to a point where you could total that much time in zone over a workout, which would be an okay. awesome workout. Two consecutive hours. So that's a big ask. I Oof. mean, that would be a big, huge workout, but yeah. I think that's something you could eventually get up to. I Pros mean, probably can, right? You know, yeah. but, you know or, or maybe if you're doing like a long like a long Saturday ride, you could try to achieve that much time, but that would be, you would be toast after that. Oh you know? yeah. Um, but usually, you know, usually you'd want to get close to about an hour or so in your workout, you know, and, and these can be done in like, like 10 minute intervals with like a minute rest between them or two minutes rest or two by 20, three by 20. just, you know, there's about a million different ways you can break this up. Um, I don't, th you know, usually you don't want a whole lot of rest between these because you really want to kind of keep the, the systems primed and your heart rate up. The rest is almost just something to look forward to. Right. Just to break it up a little bit. Um, but, you know, like maybe start out with like 45 minutes worth of it, get up to, you know, get up to an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half is probably for most people Ooh. plenty. Woof. Yeah. And, and I was wondering, like, how do you do this in the real world? Like if you're out on a mountain bike ride, trails are not Zwift. It's, you're not well, on the trainer. Like you're going to, you're going to hit a hill on your brake. That's really hard. That you have to get up or you have to pass a group of Nike kids or something. You have to do the effort or you get stuck at a stoplight in the middle of one of your blocks you're supposed to be on. Do you have any like tips for like real world, how to like, uh, do you just kind of have to approximate these things and get as close as you can if you're out riding in the real world or what do you do? Well, what, what I do is this is, I almost exclusively do sweet spot work during the winter. Okay. I really don't do it any other time of year. Um, and the winter is just a cause I think it's just so much easier to do on a trainer. Um, you know, you don't have stoplights, you don't have, 
you know, you don't have hills that are too steep. You can just kind of lock it in. And so that's personally how I do it. A lot of these are going to be easier to do on the road. Yeah. You know, um, there's a reason pros train on the road, guys. You cannot give me a good world cup mountain. You probably can't give me a world cup mountain biker that doesn't train on the road. Yeah. Um, you can ride mountain bikes on the road. Just, just pick somewhere safe, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, another type of sweet spot workout though, is you can just go like, you can just go for like a normal ride and you just kind of decide, you know, every time I climb, I'm just going to do it in, in sweet spot and just see how much time you accumulate. You know, um, I'd, I'd say that's probably the best way to do sweet spot outdoors. But again, like I say, this is something I prime. This is primarily the intensity I do mostly during the winter. Okay. So, and, and then early season too, you know, like this is the intensity that I would do during the base season. So, which we're going to do a whole podcast on the base season soon. So, so that's the first one. Um, the second one is, is threshold, which is just a little bit more than sweet spot. A lot of times I just kind of skip this part because with, with sweet spot, you kind of get a lot of the same benefits as you do with threshold. I really only would work on with in thresholds, you know, like obviously a hundred percent, 105% of your FTP or whatever. Um, I think this is. It's a lot like the benefits aren't a whole lot better, but you get a lot more tired and it's a lot harder. Worse bang for your buck, essentially. Right. But I do think for some people it's a weakness and I think it's, it is good for some people to, to do some work here, but usually I'll do sweet spot first and then a little bit of threshold before you move on. So, so the next one is, is kind of the gold standard for getting you fast and that's what people call the VO2 max intervals. And it's a little above threshold, right? Yeah, it's 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 usually about 110, 120% of of FTP or of threshold that you're kind of operating at. Um and and like and like the research, kind of the gold standard for an effective workout is where you can spend as much time at pos- as possible at 90% of your VO2 max, which most of us really don't know what that is because we don't really know. Because VO2 max to really get the measurement, you have to like stick your, it's like the thing you see the pros do, they get to the top of the hill and some guy gets out of the car and pricks their ear. No, and that's, that's testing their lactate. Oh, okay. You actually would have to be hooked up to like like the mask, mask, you know? Okay. Yeah. So we really don't know, but it's close to your max heart rate. Okay. So, so you really would would be wanting to spend, you know, during these sessions, just as much time as possible close to your max heart rate, but not at your max heart rate. Right. And, and typically what most people find is that at your VO2 max, which is, you know, the maximum amount of oxygen you can utilize when you're exercising, you can work at that power for about, I would say most of us about three minutes. Okay. You know, maybe three, that's, 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 just, that's not a lot of time. Well, three to five. Okay. Um, five. If it's something you can do for 10 minutes, it's not, it's yeah. not your VO2 max, right? Yeah. So it's basically as hard as you could steadily, like hard as you could steadily go for about three minutes. Okay. And, um, and that's a, probably a pretty good estimation of what your VO2 max is. Um, and again, the goal would be to design a workout where you can spend as much time as possible. And that's usually, 
you know, usually doing like a hill repeat or something. You know, you right. find a hill that takes you three minutes to climb. You climb up it. Um, you really want kind of a negative split on your effort. Where negative split means you're getting faster as you're going. Each you're each. trying harder as you get to the top. You know. Oh, okay, okay. I was gonna say because also like like, and I think this is good practice for not just intervals but like racing, but like if you find that you're going out and doing intervals and your first one is twice as fast as your last one, or if you're at a Nike race and lap one is 10 minutes faster than lap three, like think about pacing is your fun little, <laughs> fun little side note there. That's what I thought you meant by negative pace or negative, negative split. split. Yeah. And yeah, it's more negative split in the racing world means your laps are getting faster, which yeah. is usually, usually people's laps get slower as they race. If you That's can, why I say it's a negative split effort where right. you're not trying your absolute hardest as soon as you start, right. but like, as you go, you know, it should feel pretty manageable when you start. It should be, you should almost be dying right. by the time you're done. Right, like right. You, you should be about ready to fall over. Really quick, I would like to say negative splits are something I look for to decide if somebody's a good racer. You know, like pros who can negative split. That's cool. That means you're really good at pacing. Totally unrelated <laughs> tangent to Dan there, but you know. Yeah. And these, these type of workouts, um, I would say you'd want to kind of design so you're 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 spending about like 20 25 minutes at in zone and and actually being able to ride at VO2 max is extremely hard. I would say most people when they try to do like a 3 minute effort they're really not at yeah. their VO2 max. They're it's more of kind of a hard threshold type workout. I would say and I'd I'd also like piggyback on what Dan said there like Find a road near your house that's not very busy, that's a little bit of a grade, but not too steep. Like find your interval road. You know, go find something that you can go and hit really quick after work or after school or whatever. Or if you're lucky enough to live close to a trail, find that section of quarry or that little trail in Corner Canyon that's never crowded, that's a good little climb, and do uh, hill repeat laps for intervals. That's so, that's such an awesome way to do it. I have a few like that I, I go to all the time. So, should we do these all season long? Let me ask you that. So, Dan, should we do these all season long? Because I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe. Prob I mean, it's like it wouldn't hurt, but I, I, I would assume, like anything else, it's better than nothing but not ideal. Yeah, I would not do them all season long. Okay. Like these, um, and we're going to talk about like residuals a little more, but like the like at different intensities, it takes us different amounts of time to kind of achieve the maximum benefit from them. Once you do, you start to plateau at the least, but at the worst, you can even start to backslide yeah, a little bit. Basically, you're sustaining damage to your body mm. that you'll need to recover from without really reaping any benefit, right? Well, yeah, you kind of <clears throat> get to a point where you're just not going to benefit anymore from these, and then your body just gets really efficient at doing them, and it almost just starts backsliding a little bit. Oh, interesting. And typically, like, so like the, thre the sweet spot and the threshold type work, I mean, that can take like 10 to 12 months to really max out the gains on those. Weeks, sorry, I'm. <laughs> I heard that I was like, oh wow, we're no. really playing the long game here, huh? No, ten to twelve weeks. Sorry, um, the VO2 max type efforts, they usually put those like six to eight weeks at most. Um, Not so you that really, far off. Yeah, so you really, you know, when you're planning your season, you would, you know, you'd really want to find your target date, count back about six weeks, maybe eight. And start doing them then. A month and a half. That's not... It's not a lot of time. Like almost now to the new year, which feels like it could have been two weeks ago. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not a ton yeah, of time it's not all. a whole lot of time. Hmm, interesting. 
You know, I think if you did them all season long, as long as you were, you know, keeping your easy rides easy, you'd probably be okay. But, but I, there's not a, you wouldn't, you're not telling kids to do that. Yeah. And you wouldn't see a lot of benefit. Like you would kind of stop getting better at them after eight weeks anyway. And also they're, they're mentally difficult too. These are a challenge mentally, you know, and that's, that's another thing is like with these is it, that's, that's something you should consider with a lot of these training things that like, if you're doing them right, you should be kind of afraid for them. You, yeah. know, you should, you should be sitting in fourth period. Like, Oh gosh, I've got to go do that today. Like, it's not like if it's just like, Oh yeah, I'll go knock that out or whatever. I think there's, probably something off in the way that you're approaching them. I mean, you shouldn't be having nightmares about them, but, but I really <laughs> suspect that most people that attempt these don't do them nearly as hard as the pros do. Or, or do you know what I'd say would be my guess based on my experience? If the, like three ish minute effort that we're talking about, right? The first minute you go like a bat out of hell and the last 30 seconds you're crawling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, that's, <laughs> that's what we're talking about the negative split, huh? Yeah. And that's, that's where, you know, a power meter is nice to be able to pace these a little better, but I'll throw out again. Power meters are like three, 400 bucks. No, one, I've never talked to somebody who's like, oh gosh, I wasted this money on this power meter. You know, like go do it. Yeah. So as far as like getting fast, these are just, these are the best interval, you know, and there's, there's a million different, well, there's a lot of different ways to do these, but usually they're, you know, usually they're the best are usually like three minute intervals, maybe some, some like pros will do five, which I think is a big ask. <laughs> um, but also they can be broken up into 30 by thirties. Okay. Where, you know, you're, you're going really hard for 30 seconds and you just rest off. You rest just a teen, like not enough to completely recover from it so that you can. And, and those are a lot more manageable and have, really good benefits too. even still though. I think Albert Einstein would have been fascinated mm -hmm. by 30 thirties because they would have confirmed the relativity of time that that 30 seconds when you're on feels like an eon and the 30 second rest just feels like nothing. It really does. Like the, the 30 seconds on feels like about two minutes and then your rest feels like 15 seconds. It's, it's a, it really is a fascinating study in relativity. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so those are, those are your VO two max intervals. Um, I, I like to compare them to salad dressing. Okay. You know, like <laughs> Where, where's this going down? <laughs> because a you know, little's good, but you don't want to be eating ranch soup. Is that kind of the idea? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, like a little bit of salad dressing on your salad makes it taste a lot better, but if you accidentally pour too much on, it just ruins your salad. Okay. Okay. So today in tortured metaphors, no, that's, I, I, I hate to admit that is actually kind oh, of a good metaphor. You. Not all, most, a lot, not most. Maybe most. A lot of your metaphors aren't good. That one's okay. Okay. Thank you very much. So, so the next type of intensity I wanted to talk about are hard group rides. Ooh. Oh. Okay. Relevant for us, for our world, yeah. huh? Are what, hard, are your, what are your thoughts on hard group rides, Dan? Okay. I think they are actually very beneficial. Oh, thank goodness. In the right doses. Okay. Um, because there's... Well, there, there's things about hard group rides that I do like. And one is that you're, you're not really in control. You know, it's like if you're doing intervals, you know that you're supposed to be going hard for three minutes or 30 seconds or whatever. <clears throat> if you're doing a hard group ride, you know, whoever might be set, whoever you might be trying to hang on to might <clears throat> push you just a little bit past what you were comfortable, you know, like an effort longer than you were comfortable with, you know. You, you kind of, and, and I think that <clears throat> makes it important. The, um, I, I think too, they're, they're fun 
And, yeah. and I think especially for kids, sometimes kids have a hard time <clears throat> motivating themselves to really push their hardest if they're just doing a hill repeater. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I do think it's definitely a very important part of training. But not every night should be an intense group ride. Yeah, but it shouldn't be the only type of ride you ever do. Yeah. I, I think that once a week is probably pretty good. And it's also hard to find a group that you can truly do a good... Like, I think most of the time, unless the circumstances are just ideal, most of the time you're just going kind of hard. Yeah. And then again, you know, if you go back and look at your your time and zone on one of those types of rides <clears throat> it might feel really really hard but you're kind of just all over the place like you're getting a a little bit of time in zone three a little bit of time in zone four a little bit of time in zone five a little bit of time in zone six you know kind of poor recovery between so if if it, it feels really hard but you're really not spending a whole lot of time in a specific specific zone but Every once in a while, it is good to kind of mix it all up and yeah. have a hard ride that kind of less controlled, more real world. You know, that kind of spans all. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty race specific. Um, you know, and yeah, so I, I do think they're important. They're, I mean, it would be really hard to design a Maybird group that was perfect enough that everybody in that group was getting a hard ride that pushed everybody in the group. You know, I mean, usually what happens is like one person will be riding pretty comfortably. Someone will be off the back that just can't, you know, they just get, there'll be some kid in the front who's bored telling fart jokes and some kid in the back who is in the deepest depths of hell, you know? Like. Yeah. You know, so if, if, you know, when you do these, which again, let me reiterate once a week is probably more than enough. I think every yeah. other week's, probably about right for hard group rides yeah um you know if, if you're a beginner it doesn't matter but once you yep, start just ride yeah just ride but um <clears throat> but yeah they it, it's probably better to do these with maybe a buddy or two yeah that you're really nicely matched with then you can really push each other um yeah you know then it, it yeah definitely a good thing super important but shouldn't be the only type of intensity that you do yep so let me do a tortured Dan metaphor. Hard group rides are kind of like paprika. <laughs> a little bit's good, but it's not the only seasoning you should be using. You know, like throw it in there with some chili powder and some garlic and some oh onion gosh, and stuff. This is, this is not worse than a lot of your metaphors, Dan. Okay, that was, yeah. So, yeah. So those are the... <clears throat> You know, those are the, how many did I say? Like four different types of... I don't know. Who cares? Of intensity to include in your train. But but just remember that as a general rule, one or two intensity type rides a week is plenty. Yep. More isn't better because... No. Because again, like 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 we kind of established kind of at the beginning, I think the the thing that really kind of sabotages, sabotages a lot of Nike riders' fitness is they just spend so much time riding kind of fast that, you know, it's interesting. Like, um, like when I do intervals with the skyline guys and stuff, I'll be riding with some of these kids and, and we'll be doing like, I'm using air quotes intervals. And I'm kind of like, you know, I can't keep up with you guys on group rides. I shouldn't be able to keep up with you on intervals. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I always feel like throwing shade. <laughs> well, no, I always feel like, 
their group rides are, you know, they're just so fast. But then when it comes time to do intervals, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, this feels about the same as a group ride. Yeah. So, so yeah, like, uh, really having that, that, you know, the, the just better distribution and, and discipline and I, I think can really pay dividends. So, and, and as always, like I'll throw in, you can just go out and ride for fun. Like, don't, don't be listening to me like, Oh, if I don't do this, I may as well not be riding. Like the, the biggest overriding point here for our whole podcast and our whole thing is just, just ride your bike. And like, for me, like in, in the past couple of years, a lot of time just to get the motivation to get out and ride when I'm tired after work and school and stuff is like, if it's fun for you to go and pretend you're in a low stakes race and attack every hill and feel cool, like do it. It's, it's, it's good. You will get better. You can just get better by doing, you know, by doing these things. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, like I said, on my list of three things that are going to make you fast, the number one is just more time on the bike. And, and, you know, when you're having fun, you're naturally going to spend more time on the bike. So if, if you ever find yourself not having fun, then you got to do something different, but definitely just, it's okay to go out and have fun rides. And, but I do think that, you know, if, if you use intensity wisely and prudently and like when it's time to be intense, if you make it really, really count, that's, it's, it's going to make you faster. Yeah. You know, it's like salad dressing. Exactly. It's like salad dressing. Uh, thanks as always folks for listening. Um, sorry, this one's coming out a little late. Dan, Dan was supposed to get home from St. George earlier. Um, if you don't catch us till Monday, have a good work week. Uh, as always send us, uh, any questions that you have and, um, getting closer counting down to the riding season here, huh? Oh, absolutely. Can't wait. So excited. Talk to you soon, folks.